I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hi there, and welcome to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. Have you heard of Clubhouse? Most of you probably have. But if you haven't, it's an incredible platform to find and build community. It's an audio-only chat room, if you will. My friend Bo Bigelow over at the Disorder Channel and I started our own club. We would love for you to join. You can find Bo Bigelow or myself on Clubhouse. Give us a follow. You can search for Once Upon a Gene, the club. Follow that. Click the bell and it'll notify you when we start rooms. You can also just message me anywhere on social media and I'll send you a direct link for you to join. We are hosting a weekly room we're calling Rare and Relatable. We have a topic and... Whoever in the room wants to share a short three-minute story on the subject, they're welcome to. Or you can just hang out and nod along with people who get it and maybe meet some new friends. Clubhouse is actually how I got my next guest. Oddly enough, we met in a podcasting room and she was thinking about starting one and I answered a few of her questions. She emailed me later. Turns out she's a mom to a 20-year-old undiagnosed rare disease daughter. And today, she touches on some vulnerable stuff of what it's like to be a caregiver and live with chronic stress. I think you'll see a lot of yourself in her words. And when you can see that you don't feel like the only person in the room anymore, that's a good feeling. Please enjoy my conversation with Billy Short. Hi, Billy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Effie. It's so great to be here. I'm so excited to connect with you. Yes. You know, we actually met on Clubhouse, which is an app I'm fairly new to in a podcast room. So isn't that funny? It is. It's great and hilarious. And I love how apps are bringing people together. <laughs> totally. Well, I received an email from you and you brought up several points, especially things that people have been talking about lately and asking me to have on the show about being undiagnosed. And then you said that your daughter was 20. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. We need to talk about all this, Billy. So I'm glad that you are here and that you're my guest because I have so many questions for you. Great. I'm here to answer them as best I can and excited to share. Cool. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself and your daughter. I am a mom first, caregiver first is what I usually say. I've been caring for my adult daughter for 20 years. Emily is my second child. I have a son, Justin, who's 22 and bright and wonderful and amazing. He's in college. And my husband and I have been married for going on 29 years. I can't believe it when I even say it out loud. <laughs> and we've just been on this journey. Emily was a very typical birth when she was born. She was six pounds, eight ounces. The doctor said, this is a picture perfect birth. She was 
off the charts on her APGAR score. Her brother had the cord wrapped around his neck three times and wasn't breathing. So I was just so relieved at what a wonderful, easy birth it was. And at about three months, I noticed she wasn't meeting milestones and was having failure to thrive is what they called it. She really wasn't growing or gaining weight. And so at that point, uh, we started a little bit of testing. They thought she might have cystic fibrosis at the time. And so we went and had that testing done. That came back negative and I was thrilled because we didn't have the resources I think that are available now with Googling and the internet, but I knew cystic fibrosis was not good. And that kind of began the road of diagnosis for the next probably five or six years of testing. We have done quite a bit of testing for Emily over the years and she just hasn't tested positive for anything. She's tested for Rett's and Angelman and Fragile X, several of the syndromes. And we were told by a geneticist when she was about five or six that it's no doubt she has some sort of genetic anomaly, but you may never know what it is. And that is where we were at that point. When was the last time you had a genetic test? You know, it was probably around when she was about seven, because at that point they wanted to start doing some bone testing and other testing. And here's what happened at that point is it was not going to change what services we were getting at the time because the thought at the time was they weren't going to be able to find it. We didn't have the science and research that they have now. And I am just learning through your podcast that there is better, a lot better testing now than there was back then. Yeah, Belly. Like, yeah. <laughs> I would encourage you to, to get another whole exome sequencing test like today. Yes. Yeah, so actually just in the last couple of weeks since I probably it's been a month since I reached out to you and started listening to all these podcasts that my eyes were opened up to how much more is out there than was there when we last tested. Wow. And for us, I know you had another guest recently that I really resonated with who was talking about at what point do you what how much do you put your children through as far as testing? You know, doing like bone testing and a lot of the invasive testing, I didn't want to do. But blood tests, I would definitely do. Yeah. I think if it's something that you're still curious about in some way, or if you like the answers for, you know, a number of reasons, even if it's just simply a more niche community and to find other kids like your daughter. I mean, everything. There's so many reasons to do it. And science has just come so far since she was seven. I think that that would be such a cool thing for you to be able to do and hopefully find an answer. Definitely something I want to bring up with my um, husband. I think the one point, though, is that not having a diagnosis has some positives to it. There is some comfort in ignorance because you don't go Googling and searching for things that could happen or might happen or could possibly be in the future. I'm very present focused. Mm, that's interesting because I would think that without a diagnosis, that that's when you would be constantly Googling new symptoms or new concerns, or maybe you saw someone's face that looked like hers. I would think it would be the other way around. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because that's what I would think too. And for probably the first eight years, I was so focused on a diagnosis. It was like, I was always on the computer. I was always Googling. I was always researching anything that I even thought she had. She does have a lot of the characteristics of a child that has Rett syndrome. She is nonverbal. She is non-ambulatory. And while never diagnosed, I'm pretty sure that she has some issues with her brain not knowing that she's full. When she was younger, she never gained weight and we thought we might have to G-tube her. But at some point she started to eat. And once she did, she has never stopped. 
I've heard that as a symptom in a lot of kids. Yeah. So I'm starting to hear that as more like in the Prader-Willi syndrome and in a few of the other ones. I'm like, wow, Emily might have this. Yeah, I think I think Bo Bigelow, his daughter Tess does that. So it might be something to talk about. His daughter's story so parallels my daughter's that it did get me more curious to want to find an answer. And that's just been very recent for me as a new podcast listener. You know, for the first 18 years of Emily's life, I was just trying to keep my head above water. I think a lot of caregivers are just trying to get through all the appointments, get through the therapies, keep their marriage together. And sometimes that diagnosis gets a little sidelined. Yeah. You know, I think about the parents before me, the OGs, the ones who have children who are 20, 30, whatever, and what it might have been like and what you've all done. And I was actually really shocked to hear that you hadn't necessarily opened the door into this rare disease and undiagnosed community where we're all hanging out yet. But what you just said, right, when you just start, when you're in the trenches and you're doing all the things and you're just trying to go through the motions and you're living day to day and you're choosing to just be present, it's hard to be everywhere at one place. I'm so happy that you have found us. I can't believe it was 20 years later because I just feel like there's so much to learn from parents like you who have older kids. And there's so much wisdom that you have that not a lot of us get to hear from because most of our kids are fairly young. And I think that is true. And what I was thinking as I was as I hear stories from younger parents, I just want to tell them it's going to be okay. You know, you're going to be okay. You'll get to the other side of this. It is not all the diagnosis. It does eventually get to where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can see the joy in the moments. As Emily has gotten older, I can really see the joy in the present and in the moments and in my bubble. You know, I always talk about when we're at home and with our family and in our bubble, things are just perfect. It's right. I wouldn't change anything. I love that. How has it been to not have the answer for so long? When did you kind of embrace that? And does it hurt still? Or are you kind of just at peace? I really think I am at peace right now. Like if she was never to get a diagnosis, I would be okay. I think the one thing people don't know is Emily is so physically healthy. She's never had one surgery. She's never had any issues. She used to have a lot of GI issues. And she's outgrown a lot of those, I think, as her tone improved. You know, kids with hypotonia, even their digestive systems are weak, but they do start to strengthen over time. And so she's been so physically healthy that I think I'm just so grateful for that. Yeah, that's great. I think that makes a lot of us hopeful to know that someone grew out of GI issues. <laughs> oh, yeah. I really wanted to let you know when I hear all these vomit stories, and, <laughs> which we've talked about. You know, it's there was always a saying, it's not a holiday or a vacation till someone throws up. But that hasn't been the case for probably the last six or seven years. So for those children with GI issues, a lot of them, especially if it's due to hypotonia, they they outgrow some of those issues in, in, in some cases, or at least in my daughter's case. So it's so unique about our population is every child is so different, even if they have the same diagnosis. Yeah, so true. Can we talk about 20 years of stress? Can we talk about how you've managed to keep your telomeres from burning on both ends into nothing? Yeah. The first 18 years, I didn't do such a good job. I'm not going to lie. 
I was such a martyr and so bitter and angry and upset and pissed at the world, to be honest. It's only been in the last two years that I really have learned to find, as I say, the calm and the chaos and the zen in the zoo. <laughs> and that's really just a mind change that, you know what, this is our lives and it's a beautiful life. It is a beautiful life and embrace the chaos and roll with it. You know, the throw up does not make a bad day. It makes a bad five minutes. The blowout diapers make a bad five minutes. Why do you think it was 18 years, Billy? What about it was kind of keeping you down? Ooh, you know, this might be a little bit vulnerable and it's really not completely on topic, but my husband has some depression that he's had for several years since Emily was born. Kind of really brought on some depression that from post-traumatic stress from his childhood and having Emily and going through the initial diagnosis kind of brought on some of his depression. And so I think that that hit kind of a came to a culmination when Emily was about 18 and we really broke through what the root cause of that was and he was able to get the resources that he needed himself. I think so many parents don't take the time to take care of their own health because they are so focused on their children. And especially when they have children that have a child that has therapies and um, doctor's appointments and endless needs, you just sideline yourself. And when something forces you to face it, it forces you to reevaluate everything. Mm, that's not off topic whatsoever, Billy. I think that there's so much going on, right? Like you said, and it's not just your child. It's you. It's your spouse. It's your other siblings. It's what you came to the table with before you met each other and had babies, what you were equipped with. You face it all at some point. And I think a traumatic experience like having a child with an undiagnosed rare disease is a pretty big activation switch. And um, I'm sorry that you went through that for so long. And I'm so glad to hear that you came up for air when you did, because it's never too late, right? It's never too late. And I think that caregiver burnout, that's real. I think the, um, the struggle of <laughs> trying to get a diagnosis and going through all of the hoops that you go through for services and just going through IEPs and you feel like it's a constant fight, fight, fight for everything for our for our children. I don't think it should be that way, but I think that adds to the normal pressures of our lives as well as any baggage we brought in when we had these kids. Mm -hmm. What did you do that changed over the last two years? What are some of your practices or your mindset that switched? How do you feel like a more healthier Billy at this point? It started out with I had gained about 50 pounds over the last 18 years of raising Emily, maybe more. And I had yo-yo dieted through there. But it started out just trying to lose some weight. And through that, I just learned about self-care and about caregiver burnout. I really didn't know that that was even a thing. And I learned that I had to start finding a way to take care of my physical and mental well-being so that I could still care for Emily in the future. She became an adult. And I said, I need a healthy lifestyle and a healthy body to carry on and lift her and care for her for the next however many years that I'm blessed to do that. That was in one real main switch. And another thing was just changing my thought about caring for her as not being a burden, but as a gift. Like I've never seen it as a gift. You shared a story about carrying Ford up and down the stairs. And I was crying because I said, I never really appreciated 
carrying Emily. I never really appreciated that gift of being able to lift her and carry her when she was eight and nine and 10 years old. You're make me cry. <laughs> I just thought of her as a burden and she's not a burden. She is a gift and it is a, it is a gift that I get to care for her. And being able to change that in my mind and just change how I thought about caring for her, that's what really changed things. Yeah, that was actually really profound. And I was going to bring it up when you messaged me. You said the first thing I identify as is a caregiver. And I think caregiving is a gift. And I wanted to have you kind of explain that a little more about that thought process. Yeah, caregiving is a gift. And when I say caregiving first now, I really mean caring for myself first. I put myself above Emily, and I know that may sound harsh, but by doing that over the last couple of years and making sure that I'm rested and I'm eating well and I'm sleeping and I'm getting help from outside resources, however tough that is to do, moms and dads, however hard it is to allow somebody else to care for your child, I encourage you to let others into your circle to expand it because there's a huge gap in our care for our kids. We can't do it all. And by allowing others to help fill that gap, by saying yes to help, by asking for help, we become better caregivers to our kids too. And we become better spouses. We make our marriage work. We become better parents to our typical kids that really need us as well. And that shift means caring for myself first so that I can be there and care for my daughter with an open heart rather than with a closed heart of resentment. Oof. Or rewind that one, everybody. Just press the arrow twice. It's funny that you bring this up, Billy, because I was making a post today to put on my Instagram and I was trying to write something that said something like, unpopular opinion, taking care of yourself is more important than taking care of your child. And I was trying to figure out how to word it without getting, you know, stones thrown at me. <laughs> well, you can just blame it on me now. Billy said it. <laughs> but it's so true. And I feel like there's so much guilt and shame and whatever, even just the way you think, right? It's not even that you necessarily actually have that opinion, but that's the way you were taught. And that's what people say. But you are number one, your relationship with your spouse, number one, you have to be the best you and the strongest you and the most rested you that you can be to really do all the things that you mentioned for your kids. You really do. And um, it is a challenge you know, you, you're never off duty as a parent. And I think that is sometimes tenfold with our kiddos. As incorrect as that might sound, our kids have it tougher sometimes. And I'm okay saying that. I feel like our burdens are sometimes really, really difficult. And that's okay. I think everybody understands what you're saying. I surely do. I have moments like that fairly often where there's just really tough stuff happening with Ford and, you know, he's hurting, he's having a bad day. And it's like, you know what, babe, I'm going to go work out. Like, that's what I have to do right now. So I'm sorry for all of this, but like, mom's got to go. And I think that that modeling is actually good. And I think it's really good for our typical kids to see that, to say, hey, having a child that has problems does not mean you aren't going to ever have a life. It doesn't mean you can never have moments of joy. It doesn't mean you can never have moments where you spend time with your spouse alone. It's possible. And I think it's good that my son is seeing that and he is learning to model what it means to, to be healthy and to take care of yourself. I mean, he's learning that. Can I ask for some specific examples of what you did for your self-care and how you implemented it? 
Well, one is I had to start going to bed a lot earlier. I had to turn the TV off. That's a hard one because that's your only time to watch a show. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) My thought was, oh, this is my time to decompress from my horrible day. (laughs) Was a glass of wine and some Bravo after everybody's in bed. And I'd wake up in the morning feeling terrible. (laughs) I never woke up feeling rested because I'm drinking wine before I went to sleep. And I stayed up late watching TV. And Emily wakes up in the middle of the night for some reason and your sleep's interrupted. And you're like, oh. So learning to turn that TV off and get off the electronics and force myself to go to bed a little earlier so I could get up a little earlier before my daughter is awake and have some time to journal. I do journal. I do have an accountability group. I do plan what I'm going to eat during the day. I plan as much as I can with my superpower, but that I call pivot and adapting, knowing that whatever I plan, sometimes my morning time is going to get interrupted, but I'll figure out how to block that workout or exercise in later or shopping for healthy stuff or meal prep. I figure out how to pencil it in somewhere else so that it still happens. So that would be my advice is just turn off the TV. Nothing good happens after 9 p.m. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that you said your superpower was pivot and adapting. <laughs> it's you so have true. to. I mean, that we all need that skill. And having our children will definitely strengthen that muscle. <laughs> yes, yes. I love that so much. Turning off the TV and not having a glass of wine every night. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. And you will sleep better by giving up the wine. I still drink wine. I was doing it nightly to escape my day. Not like alcoholic level, because a lot of people say, oh, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. No, you're just, it's a habit you develop to decompress. (laughs) And it's extremely common for everybody, but I I think in our world, yeah, Yeah. it's it's pretty common. It's common. Because it's a high stress lifestyle. It is. And we want to buffer from that. Our bodies do not love all this stress. They do not want to deal with it. We want to be just calm and have our dopamine hits and just be feeling good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, totally. Oh, Billy. What do you tell people at this point when they ask about Emily? I tell them that she is not diagnosed, but our family has always said that she has princess syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Totally made up syndrome that my mom made up when she was really little because as we were, as she was growing and we didn't have an answer, my mom's like, well, she has princess syndrome. And people would say, well, what is that? And my mom would say, well, she just has the syndrome that why do anything for yourself if you can get somebody else to do it for you? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. So that is what I did start telling people too, because I loved that so much. Because she does depend on us for for full care. She is, you know, non-ambulatory and she's non-verbal. But I am more curious to maybe do a little bit more research though after talking to you and encourage people to get more testing now that I know that there's more out there than I realized before I found this world. And honestly, part of my self-care was starting to listen to podcasts. And that's really how I eventually found you in the last two years. And then many others. <laughs> Billy, that makes me so happy. And like I said, I just can't believe there's parents like you out there that don't that haven't necessarily had the time to come up for air or just didn't know that there was an online world 
with all of us in it. And I'm so glad you found us, even though it was a weird backwards way in a podcasting room. I tell you, it is. it was a weird way. And now I'm getting really connected. I've started joining some organizations and working with a nonprofit support group, We Are Brave Together. <laughs> so I actually just started feeling like I have the bandwidth to actually go out and support other moms that are um, that need to come up for air themselves. <laughs> Yes. Well, it sounds like you're in the perfect place right now, you know, dipping your toe in it. And you said you felt really good in the last two years. And we need your wisdom, Billy. Like we need it. And I'm so glad you're here and that you found us. And I know that you already know just in your short time how amazing all of these people are and how giving they are oh of their gosh. time and their expertise. And I just thank you so much for being vulnerable and talking about the real stuff because we all feel it and we all go through it and it's the way it is. And I'm just so thankful when people want to talk about that stuff because it's not easy, right? It's not easy to put yourself on display and wonder if people are going to judge you. And there's always that feeling you're going to be judged. I think that's part of it, the feeling of judgment as well as being vulnerable, man. That just takes some, that takes some kahunas to do. It takes some courage to put yourself out there. And to show the ugly parts, because there are ugly parts on this journey. It's not all beautiful. There's some hard, hard, hard stuff. But I think with social media, a lot of times we only see the good and the pretty and the and the polished. And we need more of the grit and the dirty. Amen. Amen to that. I love having these conversations so much. And I know the people who are listening are nodding along with so much of what you said, Billy. And ooh, I want to talk about your blog. Tell everybody about your blog and and where they can find it. Oh, sure. I started a blog just in this in this year, 2021. It's the new me starting a blog. So 2008, I found writing to be a really cathartic thing and it you can find that at conversationforchange.com/blog. And you'll also see my website. You can learn a little bit more about my journey. And I tell a little bit more about my story of, of losing weight and finding myself and becoming a caregiver first, meaning I care for myself first. And that makes me a better caregiver for others. Love it. Okay, well, we'll put all of that in the show notes. I love what you're doing. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for your message and for coming on my podcast. And just know that if there's anything you need from me, I'm here. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I am just glad I found you and I'm going to be listening, listening. I love your episodes. I think those are just amazing. Don't okay. quit doing those. Thank you so much. <laughs> that, that is awesome. I don't necessarily get a lot of feedback on the episodes specifically. So yay. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I love um, the grocery store one. I love that too. I'm like, oh gosh, I love it. <laughs> oh, Billy, thanks so much. I'm so happy to have been able to chat with you a little more, and I look forward to getting to know you better. I do too. I will see you in Clubhouse. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people, and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. <laughs>